Welcome to the Connection Project Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Olson. In my search for personal truth and a deep desire to allow more joy into my life experience, I discovered the power of connection. Join me as I interview incredible guests and learn of their amazing journeys to personal well-being. Hi, and welcome to the Connection Project podcast. Today's guest is Daniel Scott, my good friend. He is the fifth artistic director of the Planet Earth Poetry Reading Series in Victoria. He's a well-published author. He had his first chapbook in 1983, individual poems in anthologies, and has been part of various projects. In 2020, He'll be releasing Voicing Suicide, an anthology of suicide poems. He is edited with an afterword by Australian scholar, Dr. Katrina Jaworski. He's a member of the League of Canadian Poets and the Federation of BC Writers, an associate professor with the University of Victoria, School of Child and Youth Care, as well as father and grandfather. He has been a great support and inspiration in my life, and I just want to welcome you here today. Daniel, thanks for being here. Thanks, Em. Yeah, it's lovely to be here, have a chat with you. Yeah, so I'm so intrigued by this work you're doing. Obviously, with this podcast having a focus on uh, mental health, well-being, and all of the ways in which we can um, get a better understanding of who we are as human beings, um, it, it would be a shame to not have you as you know, part of this conversation, doing a project like that, you've told me a little bit about it, but I'd love for you to explain to the speakers how you stumbled across it and what brought you to uh, doing that very important work. Um, well, it's a bit of a saga. Um, uh, when I was still, uh, you know, I'm a retired from the university now, but when I was involved, uh, uh, so it would have been in the early 2000s, um, I ended up in a situation in which um, one of my children was ill in Europe. And um, so I was going back and forth to Europe quite a lot. And I ended up stumbling on some conferences on madness. And I was writing as a poet and a journal writer. Uh, I was writing about my son and my experiences in Europe um, and going to these conferences and going to one of the conferences um, one of my colleagues from the Children's Spirituality Network, which was my area of research, uh, her son had recently committed suicide, and I'd heard through the grapevine that she was really struggling, and I suggested that we meet in London uh, before I went off to Oxford to the conference, and she agreed to meet me. And um, oh, just in case you're hearing noise, it's they're shredding a tree across the road all of a sudden. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so anyhow, so we met in a restaurant, uh, in a bookstore restaurant in London, and she told me the story about her son's death and how it, how it was reported to her and so on and so on. And I kind of, as a poet, one of the things that happens to me as a writer is I absorb things and they just sit there, you know, like, and then I'm at this 
academic conference, and suddenly her story explodes into words in my and I literally sit down and scribble a, 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 a three-part poem that's about two and a half pages long while someone else is delivering a paper. So having written this poem, the person beside me said, what are you doing, mate, in her Australian accent? And I said, I'm writing a, po I'm writing a poem, you know, because we were whispering, right, because someone's delivering a paper. And she said, can I read it? I said, yes, and I slid it over to her, and it was an account of this suicide. Um, and she slides the thing back to me and she said, we're going to write papers about this. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I'm a suicidologist. My doctoral dissertation is on the gendered nature of suicide. So that was 2003, 2004, maybe. I don't remember the exact year. So we've been back and forth. And what happened was I would write poems about suicide. And then she would, as an academic, use those as a way to unlock thinking about suicide. So I had, you know, it's not something I planned to do, right? <laughs> it just happened. So we then presented at several conferences and got connected to a new network of scholars around the world who are taking a critical look at suicide studies and trying to rethink how we understand suicide and intervention in suicide experiences in various ways. And so uh, Katrina and I presented at several of these conferences and the po we, what we found was that the poetry was provoking all kinds of other things with participants in the conference. Okay. And so then we got asked, what, what was uh, supposed to be this year in June, the conference was supposed to be in Vancouver. Could I get some poets together who would read, a, you know, do a session with a group of poets uh, reading their suicide poems? And I thought, well, if I'm going to get a group of us together with their suicide poems, why not I put a book together of suicide poems? I mean, these how that's how things happen, right? That's right. Yeah. So um, I approached several people and eventually found a publisher, Ecstasis Editions, here in Victoria, who, interestingly enough, uh, had a, a connection to suicide in the very beginnings as a publisher. Um, a woman left a manuscript on a doorstep of this publisher and then went off and committed suicide and he felt obliged to publish this book. And so he was open to this idea and we did a little research and it's never been done. There's never been an anthology of suicide poems. So they came in, uh, you know, we put out a call, the poems came in from all over the world. Um, the book got delayed because of COVID and because the conference got canceled, there wasn't a rush to have it done by May. So it's due out sometime in late August. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, and Katrina has written this very powerful afterward, again, as an academic, looking at the poems and saying, what are, what's happening here? What are, what, is, what are people trying to say about suicide? And, and we called it voicing suicide very deliberately because it's about people giving voice to their experiences in and around suicide. Now, interestingly enough, two of the poems in the book are written by people who subsequently committed suicide and family members submitted wow. their, that poem plus companion poem of their own about that person or about that context. So uh, it's... It's an astonishing collection. Um, uh, people kept saying to me, how could you possibly read all these suicide poems? And I thought, 
Well, there's a strange kind of beauty in, in the struggles and agony and the incredible range of emotions that people have articulated. But it was that the beauty and the delicacy was actually comforting and sustaining. So I, I actually was tired. I worked hard reading the poems over and over again and working with a couple of the authors to improve the poems and rejecting poems that I wished we could have put in. And, you know, all that stuff that an editor does. But I, I can't begin to say how powerful they are, some of them, and how they do peel back some of the layers around what's it like to have someone you love commit suicide? What's it like to be someone thinking about committing suicide? What's it like to have tried suicide and failed? So we have poems covering all of that stuff. And, and people struggling with, you know, some of the dark um, parts of their mental health journeys that they give voice to in the poems. Well, I think you may be some kind of vessel for holding space for all of that. You must be to take on a project like this. Um, when I first went in public, it was at an event hosted by you at Planet Earth Poetry, and I actually used, I, I ventured into writing to sort of take my own experience with mental health challenges and put it on paper to try and understand the world better. And I did a lot of that through poetry. And so you definitely held space for me. And I think that's where we made our first sort of deep connection is that you just upheld that and you held space for that. Now, uh, interestingly enough, I've had a conversation with another poet, Barbara Pellman, in a previous podcast. And, you know, we did talk about that, you, you know, writing as therapy, and then you move on to, you know, the craft of poetry itself. And so I've got to be in both worlds, but there's always a piece of me that is understanding that as a poet, as somebody who writes for my own heart, too, there's just such a wealth of understanding within words and to bring a piece or to bring a collection of pieces together about all the different facets and perspectives and experiences of the topic of suicide must have been a tremendous journey for you. Um, yeah, um, I think probably, um, you know, as the book comes close to going out into the world, I have a contradictory anxieties about it one that it'll that it'll just you know cause trouble which i don't think it actually will but that's an anxiety and the other is that if it if it explodes into the world it, it'll i'll lose control of some parts of my life just trying to keep up to what happens to it mm. so i have a colleague in toronto who works for an agency dealing with um, um addicts and, you know, people with codependencies on addiction and mental health issues, yeah. street-based agencies. She's a, uh, a team supervisor 
like, you know, so she debriefs the teams that are doing the street work. She wants 10 copies of the book so every one of her team can read it because they deal with suicide all the time on the street. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then I think, okay, what, what, what will this unleash? And I think I'm not as prepared for that as I'd like to be because I have no idea what it will unleash. Um, mm. we, we've had poems come in literally from all over the world. England, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada, Argentina. Um, so I think for me, one of the really important things is a poetry um, allows us to go closer to the difficulties and darknesses of life than any other literary form, partly because of its intensity and brevity. Mm. Like you're not trying to write a novel about an event. You're just, it's that one moment that it's suddenly crystallizes or gives birth or blossoms or whatever metaphor suits you. Um, and poets, I think, are inclined to see the world a bit more from the dark side. Which is why of, of artists, poets have the highest rate of suicide, which I found out in some of the research I was doing in, around the book. Mm. Um, uh, I was amazed to discover in the same piece that I read that the, the writers with the lowest rate of suicide are fiction writers. I, I always think that's kind of funny, but I just, you know. Oh, because, well, I better change my book then, though. <laughs> <laughs> because. Well, yeah, because we're playing in possibility, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Well, I think, I think in fiction writing, you, you're projecting out much more, right? So you're creating characters who then take on their own lives, whereas in a poem, its voice is very important. And it's, right. you, you, you can write in another person's voice, but it's just your voice filtered through their lens temporarily. And so poets are bringing themselves and their experience to the surface more readily, I think, or more frequently just because of the nature of the art form, which is, yeah. Interesting. So, uh, you know, what you said earlier about the fear and the worry and the anxiety around unleashing this into the world, yeah, yeah. Ha having, you know, I'm entering into the, the third year of, uh, an event, a storytelling event about mental health challenges with the Connection Project. And this podcast is a spinoff of it because I wanted to continue the conversation. So I just want to assure you from the difference between where I sat in August of 2018 about to, you know, premiere this, this new concept, this new yeah. annual event. I can't do anything about your fear other than let you love it and be with it. Right. And, um, but I can let you know that what came out on the other side is a whole lot of permission for people, not only witnessing, but participating, whether they were con a contributing author or somebody on the other side, reading the book, whether you hear it or get that feedback or not from the people that you'll, you'll impact by, by doing this work. Yeah. Um, it is important. Yeah. And I, I totally understand that feeling of, you know, you're worrying about what you might cause. So you're seeing what might be bad, but you're not realizing what might be good in it. And I think well, it's going to be know, so much more good. It's because it's such a difficult topic. I, I think. know. 
Yeah. And it has a lot of cultural baggage, which is part of, of the challenge of speaking to and about suicide, is that it has been coated with moralism and, and of all kinds, you know, that, um, which is interesting because historically suicide has sat in many different places. It was, you know, in certain cultures, it was considered an honor to commit suicide. In some cultures, older people would make the choice to absent themselves from their community because they were no longer useful or they were a, right. a burden on the community. So, and now, of course, we've created uh, medically medical assistance in dying called MAID, which I think is an astonishing irony. And, and there's a couple of poems in the book about MAID um, that, you know, we're saying now, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not always bad to assist death in that way. So I, it's very complicated, I guess. And that's part of the sort of me thinking, okay, what's, how are people going to see the book? Um, I don't see it as promoting suicide at all, but I do see it as opening it up to uh, conversation. That's right. So, so one of the poems, um, that really struck me early on, partly because it was read one night at Planet Earth Poetry and I approached the poet and said, would you submit this poem? A, a woman whose brother committed suicide when she was a teenager. She's now a grandmother. Mm. And that was the first time she told that story in a wow. poem. 40, 50 years later, that's how long it lasts in people's lives. So, so it, having permission to speak that, to say that, would hopefully there'll be other people out there who'll go, well, thankfully somebody said that about my long lost brother, my long lost cousin, my long lost sister, you know, whoever that was. To try and um, allow the grief to have sound rather than silence. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I mean, each person has a connection to suicide. I have not met someone that doesn't, you know, I can count at least 20 close personal connections to suicide, whether it be um, uh, an attempt made, but it didn't, you know, come to fruition or, you know, that was a speaker at the last event um, or, you know, people I know who have taken their lives. So. Yeah, no. And I, this of course is like anything in life. Once you start into something, it pops up all around you. Right. And you go, Whoa, <laughs> what am I doing here? Um, we had a visiting American poet who stayed with us when somewhat earlier on in the project. And he asked me what I was doing. So I started to talk about this book. And I was, you know, yakking on about it as one does in the middle of a project and getting all excited. And I realized he was weeping. Mm. But quietly, like making just tears coming down his face. He didn't say anything. But the conversation shifted and we wrapped it up. The next morning he came into the kitchen. He said, I didn't tell you my uncle just recently committed suicide. And I was, you know, as the English say, gobsmacked because it was like, how was I to know? I couldn't know. 
and he couldn't he couldn't even begin to articulate it until the next morning. Hmm. So and I so then I thought, okay, so this is a gateway to opening all kinds of things. That's my best hope for the, the project. Hmm. Oh man, you're uh, it's astounding. So what is your other than you know? hearing that woman's story, being at that conference at Oxford, meeting that person, doing this book, uh, there must be something in you that needed this too. What it, is there? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes you get things arrive on you and you can't, you, if you say yes, you say yes, right? How can I say, I don't know what else to say. I. One of the interesting things, that first poem that I mentioned that I wrote about um, uh, suicide in England, um, when I'd written the poem, I sent it to the mom whose name is Kathy, but I hadn't used her son's name in the poem. Mm-hmm. I used a pseudonym. She wrote back and she said, you're welcome to use the poem in other contexts and papers and publish it as long as you put Nick's name in the poem. I don't want him to be invisible. Wow. So that, I think, was an underlining affirmation for me. Um, I, did, I do say in the introduction in the book, the editor's introduction forward, that um, when I was uh, doing child and youth care work professionally, obviously I came across suicide in various forms. And there was one young woman uh, who had a multiple failed attempts at suicide and used to joke that she wasn't good at anything, including killing herself. Brilliant young woman, acerbic sense of humor. I've written quite a number of poems about her over the years. And I think in some mysterious way, she's become the muse for me around this particular project. Um, she, she died not from suicide. Uh, she, she was, an abuse victim. She suffered from very serious eating disorders um, and her body just eventually quit on her. And I wrote a poem about that as well. It's a pretty grisly little piece. But So um, from my point of view, uh, she's a kind of a spiritual companion in this journey. Well, I think she would appreciate that. Yeah, I think she probably would. Or does, depending on how connected she is to this world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't want to speculate on that. I just, it, it, it is, it, it's from my point of view, it's a small way of her educating me about a lot of things. She was pretty straightforward with me about stuff. So, um, you know, wicked, wicked sense of humor she had, which was very helpful. That's wonderful. So, um, separate of this anthology, uh, you know, what does well-being mean for you? What does that look like? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, well, I think for me, um, there are several important things. Irony, sense of humor. Um Willingness just to look at things and not turn away. Um, 
And I think um, I think it, it, that that that's not a static question. It's not something I can answer in any kind of static way because I think it keeps changing as I age. Like I'm I'm retired now, so it's. And I keep having to remind, I, I mean, I'm running the, the reading series. I don't feel very retired. <laughs> but, but it's, so then what's, so some days it's like, okay, I, I'm not, I'm just going to walk away from my computer. I don't care how many emails, I don't care how many yeah. poets are dying to know when they're going to read. I don't, you know, I, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go out and putter in the garden. Um, Dreaming up projects that keep me occupied is very important. Uh, I think um, I have a fairly nomadic soul. So even though I'm physically in one place, I'm still wandering. And that's often through writing or other. I mean, I've written all kinds of things, you know? So um, it allows one to move around. Um, good conversation and friendships, I think, are very important to well-being. I think one of the great challenges that we're facing uh, right now is the question around the nature of masculinity. And so I, I'm thinking a lot about writers who struggle with that. I think Patrick Lane was really trying to write at that question. Um, I think his last novel is very much an exploration of masculinity, Deep River Night. Mm. Um, I think we're at a time in history when that is a, there's a lot of really important questions around the nature of masculinity and the relationships that might grow out of that um, and how it has been, certain kinds of masculinity have been dominant and they haven't always been life-giving. And so how do we create life-giving masculine identities and experience? Don't know how I got down that tangent, but there you that's go. A good, that's a good book coming from, you know, um, a man I would love. Yeah, that's you and I. Yeah, I'm not sure I could write that book. I, I think it's, you know, I'm too early in that process at this point to sort of, but but I'm I'm starting to see it and hear it. So for me, where I was headed with that is one of the challenges that I see, you know, the poetry community in Victoria is 80% women, 85% women. So trying to find men who, who care enough about whatever that inner journey of poetry is, is important to me, finding those people and becoming allies with them and creating the masculine friendships that will nurture that. Yeah, that is very important. That, that equality, the balance, all of that, like embracing all of it. Willingness to look at things and not turn away, as you said earlier. I, I really like that. Yeah, and I think, I, I think for me that's, uh, that's a bit of a poetic mantra for me. Like, will, will I dare to look mm -hmm. and not turn away? Will I dare? And I think with suicide, I, I decided I'd dare. You'd dare. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of people who uh, appreciate it. I know I do. Um, you know, uh, I've been thinking about a way in which I could 
have you contribute to this year's event in some way? Because I, I try to bring, as you know, poetry into absolutely everything yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, way to go. There's, <laughs> there's got to be a way. And so, you know, that might be uh, a conversation we have after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, <clears throat> you know, um, I've had an offer from one of the poets, quite a well-known poet in Ontario, who's offered to do an online launch there. She has done several other book launches recently. Um, we'll certainly do online launches here because we haven't got any other choice. Uh, one of the advantages is we can have voices from all over the place. That's right. Reading, reading their poems. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, and I, I, you know, this COVID thing that's interrupted so much and I keep thinking, oh, I'm so mad about that. And then I'm thinking, okay, like life is life. It's dealt this hand. Suicide is on the rise all over the place. So this topic isn't going away. Uh, a lot of people struggling with mental health and isolation um, and uh, reports of, you know, suicide increases in many, many places, right? So, Absolutely. I've definitely heard that uh, as well. So, and, so yeah. you know, maybe, maybe this will give the book a different place in the world as well, right? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I write other things, you know, I've written my book about time and retirement and growing old and facing mortality. And I have this crazy little chat book on up uh, on cliches that is about to come out as well. It's a, it's a, a wonderful piece of non in moments, nonsense. And in other moments, quite dark, serious things where some like, one of the poems I ended up writing was, you know, the, give them, give a person enough rope to hang themselves, mm. which I realized was an invitation to suicide. And so I wrote a very dark poem about that. But, you know, um, there, uh, I keep writing things and I never know ahead of time where everything is going to go. And I am a person who believes that things do arrive and we have to pay attention when they arrive and not say no to them. That comes in part from my work in the theater years ago in, you know, doing training for improvisation where one of the basic rules is when you're in a scene with someone and they throw something at you, you know, you can call it an offer, right? Like say yes. <laughs> have to say yes to the offer. Yeah. And two no's in a row kills the scene. That's right. So as a writer, if something comes at me, you have that split second where you go, yes, no. If you say no, it doesn't stick around. You're, you are so absolutely right. Yeah. And it's shocking what comes through just doing free writes, you know, when you're, you're just getting content to create a poem and you're just, Wow, and you have no idea, and and the themes that run throughout are so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I did a I did an improv course um, at Second City in Toronto when I was out there in uh, the early two thousands. Um, my husband got a uh, internship at the the Sports Network TSN. The one year the Toronto Maple Leafs were not playing because they had the strike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, you know, because he wasn't meant for, for sports broadcasting. He was meant for other things. But yeah, I remember taking that course. And I will never forget that that piece where 
saying no, it just literally kills it. Um, so things arriving, things arriving. Yeah. And deciding whether or not we're going to look at it or we're going to play around with it. Um, I have a practice of sitting up in bed and as soon as I get up, I reach for my headphones and I play like a tiny bit of background noise just to keep me in the zone of meditation. And I don't have any expectations of that time. I just do about 17 minutes and I make the decision if one minute of this is me getting into alignment with myself so that I can receive whatever it is that needs to come about today, then that's a success for me. And that's, um, that's what it's like when you're sitting and writing. That's when poetry is there. That's when you're in alignment with things, you know, showing up in your life and, and that willingness that you talk about. And what we unleash into the world, I think, is is partly who we are and how we've interpreted things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, have you put your own poems into this anthology? There's, yeah, uh, yeah um, there's two poems. Yeah, two. Oh, awesome. Um, and of course, in several of my books, there are suicide poems. Um, I, I guess. I can't remember how many years ago this was now, six years ago. Um, Katrina and I, we have frequent uh, online conversations, you know, face-to-face conversations using one of the endless available forums these days. Yeah. And um, we were, we were talking, her research was about um, the gendered nature of suicide. Her, it's her doctoral dissertation called thesis in Australia. And, um, about and we got talking about how how some suicide methods are more likely to be done by men and some more likely to be done by women and so i got thinking about that and i was sitting in my rocking chair and literally a poem descended on me Mm. which is in one of my books and it's called suicide quartet in four voices and each voice that came to me was a person post-suicide explaining what happened and why they chose that method. I've read those poems. And But literally, I sat in a rocking chair and that whole thing came to me over the course of about 45 minutes. And at the end of it, I was shaking so badly I couldn't get out of the rocking chair because it really had descended on me. And I said, yes. Wow. Now, Katrina turned that into a fascinating academic piece. Are these pieces available? Yeah, yeah, they're published. Yeah, yeah. In in journal, um, you know, in in the kinds of journals that she submits things to. Right, right. She's the lead author. I just kind of ride along, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. um, One of the poems I have in the book. Um, I was at one of these conferences in um, England, one of the suicidology conferences, critical suicide conferences. They call it critical suicide studies. And um, a woman stood up to welcome us. uh, And she gave a speech, which started with, um, you need to know I'm a suicide waiting to happen. She was an academic, 
at the at uh, Christchurch Canterbury University, and she gave gave this speech about her life. And she's a trans woman and a professor of theology and women's studies. And one of her poems is in the book. But again, I just this just hit me, you know. A, a few days later, I, I wrote a poem in in her voice in some ways. And again, I what do I what I so it was so uh, so I sent her this poem. And we ended up in correspondence over several years back and forth. And she would send me tapes of song that only her partner had ever heard singing with her guitar. And so she has a poem in the book and, and I have this poem about her following. And it's, it's actually uh, where she's claiming that uh, as someone who's been so abused through her life, herself has been murdered many times mm. and she reserves the right to murder herself when she chooses. Mm. And that's what that poem is about. And, 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 you know, so again, you say yes, and it takes you places you would never normally go. Well, I had planned not getting emotional today. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's just the way it is. And I'm saying yes to what's happening right now. So as you were speaking, it was like what you're saying and, and what you're contributing to this conversation with the work you're doing and what you're sharing on this podcast today. It's giving me this sense of courage to one day share the real, true, horrible, awful experience that I had with, with uh, a four-day, it was like psychosis is the closest I could call it, but it was um, a month and a half prior to my very first event on this storytelling, uh, mental health storytelling event. and. I went through this experience that was so unfathomably difficult and physically painful to be in. And it was like, I was, ex I was outside of myself Yeah. and a combination of things together allowed me to survive it. Um, it was basically four days of utter hell. And I would say that if I was to name that poem, if I ever felt I could be courageous enough to write it, I would say that I was saved by a chickadee. It would be something like I was saved by a chickadee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I had a beautiful moment on a mountain nearby, Slewinu Mount, uh, Mountain here off uh, Mount Newton. And um, it was something as simple as a bird being there when I was asking for, for help from, you know, the universe. And it was a terrifying place. And it was because I had said yes to hosting these events, creating them, you know, conceptualizing them. I was taking on a responsibility with a huge risk. 
yeah. huge risk potential for I, I can't even list the things that I thought that I could do wrong, right? Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's having the conversations and and making it so it isn't so terrible that we can bring what's in us out and share it, you know. And yeah, yeah, and yeah because what we just you know certainly what I think I learned through all of this is in the most unexpected ways you're echoing other people's experience and they, um, they connect to, to whatever it is, the story or the poem from their own experience. Uh, many, many years ago when I was first writing poetry, I was writing quite a lot of uh, love poetry. I was trying to, I was trying to explore love poetry without it being all about body parts. And, you know, cause I wasn't interested in that sort of semi erotic poetry. And I was going to be doing a reading and my, my partner, Christine was very worried that I was going to read this love poetry in public and other people would be thinking it was thinking like it was her. It right? was her. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, no, I, no, they, they won't hear you. They'll hear themselves. And she wouldn't believe me. She wouldn't believe me. But I read some of this stuff anyhow. And a, a friend of ours, who was quite yakky, came, comes up afterwards and it, within her hearing says, oh, that poem was so about me. Ah, nice. <laughs> and I went, you know, see? Because that's what happens, right? Um, and so I think uh, how, how many times, you know, like when I wrote poems about surviving prostate cancer, men who came up to me and said, thanks for saying that. Mm. I've been there. I know exactly what, you know, that was like, right? Which means they've never told anybody that. That's so, right. And yeah. getting specific, like by naming things, by naming it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Name it. Yeah, and I, I, there's probably a kind of good madness in that. You know, that says, okay, it's, it's okay to open that. It's okay. It's okay. We don't have to constrain everything. Interesting. So freedom, like I think of freedom and I think of... Uh, gosh, it was like, uh, you know, my depression for years, it felt like a cage, right? It felt like yeah. a cage and, and the cage is the mind. And if we're familiar with different parts of the mind and can realize we, we can leave it and we can return to it and we can use it to our advantage and we, we outside of trauma though, like there's, there's always that aspect of trauma that can, can come in. And yep. so, uh, you know, there's there's so much that can be tapped into if we have the privilege and potential and ability to address trauma. Um, but but freedom, freedom to look at things and observe 
getting to a place where that's possible. And I think the older you get, the more practice you get, the more familiar it becomes. And then you get to, you know, open that door and leave the cage and and go and explore the world and and realize that's not all there is. But that, that piece of mental and wellness can be looked at, can be. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be okay. Yeah. And some people won't be okay. And that will be their journey and all of that. Yeah, and their challenge as well, right? Um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I know I've encouraged other poets. Well, I was just thinking of someone who I can't name, obviously, and who who had a fairly significant tragedy in, in her personal history and had never written about it. Mm. And I said, why not? You carry it around all the time. It shapes so much what you did. And then she wrote a whole book about it. Fabulous book. Because, and and it, it was in that sense, liberating, freeing, you know, because it's the inner thing. It's not about, you know, what you cover your face with, for heaven's sakes, all the stupidity around, you know, I have to wear a mask that steals my liberty. It has nothing to do with your liberty. Your liberty is something that you give birth to and live not what you wear. Yeah. Love that. Well, I think you're going to be liberating a lot of voices and I'm so excited to read your book. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so, Emily. And it's been wonderful talking to you about this very tiny piece of your world. And I am just really appreciative of you being here. Thank you for the opportunity to, it's helpful for me to try to say these things now so that as the book comes out, I won't feel like I'm starting from zero, you know, like how do I explain this? Um, Yeah. Such an Um, honor. Yeah. No, it feels, it's a wonderful experience. And you and I, you know, I like chatting with you and you know that we've chatted. Yeah. It's always meaningful, and I so appreciate the the insights that you have to share. So thanks for being with us, and for the listeners, I will connect them to your uh, to your work through your website and all the things you do, and and maybe you'll get some new poets at the at the open mic. <laughs> all right, thank you. Thanks very much, Emily. Okay, take care. Once again, thank you for listening to the Connection Project podcast. If you wish to connect with myself or any of the guests, please leave a voice message on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash the connection project. Perhaps you'll hear yourself on an upcoming episode. To get in touch with me or to learn more about my work, please visit my website at emilyolsonpresents.com. The Connection Project podcast is edited and produced by Nick Gilchrist Audio Productions.